it's this idea of sovereignty. I mean, I think all of us know that sovereignty kind of gets a, puts God in a bad light in a lot of ways because we mix all kinds of disasters and all kinds of other negative things in there. But that was one of those things, and I think I remember mentioning it to you, that it feels like there's energy in the devil in twisting that because it, it causes God to be seen in a terrible light. And so, you know, we've been trying to have these little episodes of declaring the gospel. And so I'm going to declare to you that the gospel is that Jesus came so that you and I could know the Father as the Father. And he got into the middle of our sin. He exploded it from the inside out, bringing the light of his relationship with the Father right into the deepest part of darkness that we had. I was thinking about, somebody was talking about the other day, the crucifixion, the pre-crucifixion story. And if you think of all the attributes of darkness that were manifest there, you had the abuse of authority in the temple leaders and that. Uh, You had the abuse of authority and cowardice with Pilate. If you read the, the gospel story close, Pilate didn't think guilty was, I mean, didn't think Jesus was guilty of anything and didn't want to punish him. But he lacked the courage of his own convictions to spare the life, and it was easier to let them kill him than it was to stand up to them and have his reputation possibly sullied and have to give answer to Caesar. So cowardice, personal betrayal by Judas. I mean, we're talking the worst of the worst of the fall. We get down in the muck in the mud, and it manifests as abuse of authority. It manifests as betrayal. It manifests as cowardice. It manifests as ego. It manifests as mocking. All these kind of things. Here comes Jesus. He gets in the middle of that, carries his relationship to the Father to the lowest point of our alienation, which I think he was experiencing. Not the truth of separation, but the depth of alienation when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I know that he didn't buy into it. Just like every other point of depth he went, he brought his relationship with the Father and the light which was his life into that darkness, and he blew it up from the inside because the very next words are Father. So that's the gospel. And, And the thing about God's sovereignty and all kinds of uh, insurance disasters being associated with it and call acts of God. You know, that's just trying, the enemy sowing into our language, into our hearts, into our culture, uh, um, a way to keep the Father distant from us. So I was, uh, I don't even know how I got here. I was muddling around Scripture, a bunch of things going on, and I felt like the Lord brought up this passage of Scripture. Truly I say to you, Unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I've read that lots of times. Lots. But all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And here's the best way I can explain the feeling. If Jesus had said, if there was a scripture where Jesus was talking to his disciples or talking to somebody, and he said, truly I say to you, Unless you train and become disciplined like a soldier, you will not enter the kingdom of God. We would have discipleship programs with camouflage on them. We would have universities built on on, uh, uh, the art of war from Jesus' perspective. You know what I'm saying? We would. And if it said, truly I say to you, unless you read the Bible and unless you pray at least an hour a day... Is there any doubt 
that we would be overrun in church culture with attempts to do exactly that. But he didn't say those things. What he said was, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom. Now, not only have I not preached and not heard a lot of messages about this, but I can't think of a single discipleship program in which this is the headline scripture. I can't think of a single kingdom-based ministry where this is put forth as the starting point. Think of all the stuff. I mean, and I've got friends like Harold, you know, he, he spends his whole ministry life trying to go from a salvation-based culture to a kingdom-based culture, but I've never heard Harold preach about this, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he would agree. But what I'm saying is, what is it that enables Jesus to speak as plainly as he could possibly speak and lay out a criteria? And we're hungry for criteria. We want somebody to tell us what to do to get in the kingdom and to live properly. How is it that we've ignored this? How is it that it has not taken root in our, our psyche? And in our soul. And I think this is another one of those things that as whatever his organizational structure might be like, as the accuser of the brethren and the dark network uh, uh, over which he roughly probably presides is organizing priorities, there's got to be a filter list. And one of them has to be, don't let them know the Father. Because as long as we can keep him God, there won't be any heart to it. There won't be any soul to it. So let him preach about God all the time. Let him know that God is out there someplace. But do not, do not dare to let them think in terms of Father. And I think there's evidence of that in Jesus' life because every time he said, God is my Father, People tried to kill him. <laughs> and he said, what, do you do? What, what, what have I done that you're trying to kill me for? Well, you're making yourself equal to God. And so this whole issue of child and father is, to me, one of those things that I think there's spiritual energy against in our culture, and especially religious energy. Because religion doesn't want a father-son relationship. And, you know, I'm not trying to uh, denigrate what Harold's doing. Harold's got a whole theology called Father-Son Theology. And I'm sure that, that you know, he's, he thinks this way. But I just want to bring an emphasis to it. And so I think this, this scripture is probably not carrying the weight that it would normally carry because it has the opposition of the enemy against us being like children and knowing God is our Father. Okay? So uh, the way I study is I want to make sure I knew what I was reading. Here's the words that kind of matter in there. First one is, uh, you be converted. Strafetto, it just simply means to turn. It means to turn and then towards something. So it's where you are, you got to turn. Converted is a fine translation. There's nothing in this verse that's going to be, you know, outstandingly weird that got translated strange. But it means to turn from into something. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Become. This is an interesting word. Geneste is a part of the, the knowledge kind of idea. But it literally means to come into being through a process of birth or to come into existence or to be made or to be created or manufactured. And the thing to notice in there is that you're not the agent 
of your own creation, just like you're not the agent of your own birth. Does that make sense? So our, it, it's about becoming something at the hands of another, becoming something at the will or at the initiative of another. Does that make sense? As opposed to make yourself something. You know, you don't want to become a, a self-made Irish man. That's not Guinness. They use another word for that. This is one where you come into existence. You come into the state. So you're turning and you're becoming something, but you're not becoming it by the work of your own hands or the will of your own mind. Okay? So keep that in mind. And then uh, like is just means just as. It's a comparative statement, but it means that here I'm setting before you a picture of what you are to become. Okay? Little children. The word used here is paedia. Uh, I probably mispronounced that, but anyway, it's, it means a child normally below the age of puberty. There's a couple instances where it's translated infant, uh, but it's in contrast to the other uh, child words. Nepia is a nonverbal child, so that, that is almost always translated infant, meaning it's before a child can start to speak. Uh, Tekna is a child with the emphasis on belonging to the parents. So a lot of times you'll see that word translated offspring, or something like that, but it emphasizes the link to you and your father, you and your mother, or whatever. And then I think you guys are uh, familiar with Huios. Huios is the adult son. It's the product of the, the uh, coming of age adoption. It's when a son uh, in Jewish culture gets handed the responsibility of the family and, and the use of the family name and all that kind of stuff. So this means this is almost always translated sons. Um, so this would be infants. This uh, goes with lineage. This would be that. Pedia is, literally means a little kid means a kid from 2 years old to 10 years old, 11 years old, uh, and just the kind of life that they have. So that's a helpful focus, if you can understand that. Um, you shall not enter. Obi is the negation. Eslethete is to move into a space, so it's the negation of the act, meaning you won't go there. You won't be able to get there. You won't enter into the kingdom of God is what it's talking about. Kingdom is an interesting one I like. Uh, oh, into is my favorite word, remember? Ace versus in. It's not talking about in. It's talking about ace. So this is speaking of a process to move from a starting point here. So what we're seeing here is that unless you're, you turn from and then into becoming just like a little kid, you're not going to be able to go from where you are into that point, into the kingdom, and essentially, that means the realm of royal rule. Okay, it's, it's more than territory. Uh, it could be territory, but it would be territory that was designated territory because of the ruler. So it's not just a, a, a geographical boundary. It really has to do with the realm of the royal rule. And then, of course, of heaven is Uranus, and it, it just literally means the sky it's been adopted by Christian writers ever since the beginning to mean the heavens in the heavenly realm. So, translation... Uh, Something else that's important is if you see the same sort of thing said multiple times in the scripture, but it's not just a quote or just repeated, you can know that you should give more weight to that. I don't remember where I heard this, but it says repetition without simple restatement is a significant emphasis. So if you just get something repeated because it's repeated in the Gospels, that's not a big deal. But if you find Jesus or the apostles coming back to a topic over and over again, coming at it from a different angle, a slightly different way, it's something worth worth thing. The reason I put that in is when I asked myself that question at the beginning, how in the world could Jesus say something so directly that unless you are converted and become a little child, you won't enter the kingdom and us not understand it? Well, maybe it was just an isolated instant, but it's not. So here's the verse we looked at. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, 
you will not enter the kingdom. So let's just assume that that translation is talking, and you know, we've got the, unless you turn and uh, you, you submit to this process that is going to make you like children, okay? But look here. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter at all. How many of you have prayed to understand the kingdom better? How many have prayed that your life would extend God's kingdom more? Have you ever prayed, Lord, make me more like a child for the sake of your kingdom? A couple have. I think it's something we need to think about. Because we're told how you get there and how you receive it. And they're both the same thing. They're like children. And uh, I've spent most of my life pursuing the kingdom through adult intensity, through uh, adult discipline, <laughs> through study. Uh, I've never sat down in a, in a room full of little kids and had the expectation that it was going to better prepare me to receive the kingdom. Ray? How do you act like a child? Well, we're going to work on that. We're going to work. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's an interesting point. Ray, Ray said, how do you act like a child? You know, there's a place where Paul said, uh, when I was a child, I thought like a child, but now I've given up childish things. So I'm not saying this is a slam dunk. I understand why it's a little bit odd to think about. But I think the reason that we're suffering such a deficit of even having an image about it is we, we've not taken the admonition seriously. Here's another verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me ask you a simple question. If everything goes okay and people leave it alone, what is the product of a new birth? It's a child, right? I've never associated being born again with this admonition to become a child. Nicodemus did a little bit and, and, and got into the physical limitations of crawling back in his mother's womb. And I commend him for it, frankly, because he it was, it was listening to what Jesus was saying. But when I see, you know, our Baptist brothers out there with the sign, you must be born again, or the concept of, of the debate and argument, this is where I got lost in the, in the equation. Uh, is it born again? Is it born from above? Is it, what, you know, whatever. And I think it's all fine to study that stuff. But I never, I never took seriously and made my primary conclusion for examining the whole concept of being born again, which is one verse, granted. Um, actually, there's another verse about being born again. It's in Second Peter, I think. It might be First Peter. But it says, we've been born again to a new and living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. There's something about that. Born again ought to at least be associated with the idea of becoming a child, I think. So that's going to be some work for us. So first thing, right, how do you do it, is you start seeing it as something desirable. You start seeing it as something that makes, you know, sense. All right, here's one. He came unto his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. This is out of uh, the first chapter of John. But think about the profoundness of this. He came unto his own, and those who were his own did not receive them. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And then it goes on to say, who were born, not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, here's the significance. Let's go back for a second. This idea of becoming is to, is to come into existence, to be made, to be created, to be manufactured. 
It's not something of our own desire and our own will. Most discipleship thoughts, most growing thoughts, growing in the kingdom thoughts, are things that I think we take upon ourselves as a responsibility. And I could be projecting because I do that all the time. But I, I also think that's the goal of this. I even think it might be possible when we're talking about, like, the finding the man. And, you know, I don't know if you've had the thought, once we find this guy, we've got to help him become like a little child. I don't know. Because more likely than not, you know, in the kind of context of that vision, this guy's been dealt some hard blows in life. And then, okay, what, Ray? I had a word from the Lord that said, uh, I had a childlike faith. Okay. So Ray, because he's not getting up because of his foot, he, he said, for the benefit of you on, the, on Zoom, that he had a word from the Lord that commended him for having a childlike faith. All right, so become, note that. It's something happening to us when we turn toward it. Now let's go to the other one here. This last one down here. We gain the right to become children of God when we received him. But he says, because he's the king, right? He's the rule of the kingdom. Unless you receive the kingdom as a little child. Somehow we've got to receive, think in terms of receiving Jesus as a little child. All right, and then he—the result of receiving him as a child is that we have the right to become children. And it's not that we're doing it ourselves; it's that we're born not of the flesh, not of the will of man, but God has determined to do this. So this is this is one of the other things that makes me think, man, we need to look more seriously at this. If God, if Jesus has revealed to us that the way that we are going to engage in the kingdom move from being an observer of it only to entering into it. The way of that is to become like a little child. And that, that becoming like a little child is going to engage not our will necessarily as the causative agent, not the will of man or the will of flesh, but the Father himself, God himself. That's what it says. But God. Then we've got to stop neglecting this. And we've got to figure out what it means. And the fact that we have to ask what it means is a good sign that we need to spend some time thinking about it. All right, so here's our best starting shot. And I apologize for the next screen because it's got like a million words on it. So, Riley, uh, Greg, why don't you guys go ahead and shoot that screen up so otherwise the Zoom people will never have a chance of reading it. So what are we turning toward? What are we beginning to be made like as we receive, and how do we receive this new birth thing from God's will? What is, what is becoming like a child by the hand of, and will of the Father like? All right, children are. Okay, here's the first brutal paragraph. So I've been thinking about this. Uh, I talked uh, on Thursday, we talked about this. Here's some of the things we came up with. Children are innocent, okay? And there's a lot that could go into talking about what innocence is like, but children are innocent. Children are trusting, and it was particularly noted that they endow their parents with virtually limited trust, limitless trust, until, you know, I mean, obviously in a second we're going to talk about how abuse can mess these things up, but we're talking just in a normal, healthy child. Children are forgiving. They don't hold grudges. Children are embracing physically. They want to hold. Children are loving. Children are passionate. What? I can't have that? What? It's not all positive passion, but it's passion, right? Uh, children are emotional. 
How many of you have spent a time of your Christian development where you were being encouraged to suppress your emotions? Who tries to get a child to suppress their emotions? That shows that whoever came up with the suppress your emotions segment of Christianity is not at all thinking that you have to become like a little child if you're going to engage in it. And I know these are all fraught with, so we want a bunch of emotional outbursts going on all the time? Uh, Probably more than you want a bunch of hypocrisy going on all the time and masking and fear. Okay? All right. So they're emotional. They're committed. They're excitable. Children are simple and direct. They're desiring to please. They're compliant. Now, I know a bunch of you have, are, are parents, probably all, almost all of you are parents in the room, and you know that not every kid is the same degree of compliant as the other, right? So we're not talking about that. But generally speaking, kids want to please you. They want to do what you want them to do, if you're clear about it. They're giving. Even though they can also be very egocentric and self-centered, uh, they'll just walk over and hand something to somebody without really any criteria. I've never seen a kid give because they somehow perceive that that person deserves it. If they give, they just give because here it is and there you are and it seemed like a good idea at the time. So it's a characteristic. Drawn into community. Uh, Amy, uh, oops, I don't, yeah, they're there. Um, a couple Mondays ago, she was talking there. They've been out traveling. Uh, Jeremy and the family's all traveling for his work. And they were at a hotel, and she was sitting out by the pool, and her kids came up after about 45 minutes just going, hey, here's this new friend, and here's this friend, and this friend. And she made the point, oh, my gosh, I was stunned with how quickly they can make friends because uh, it would take us like four months before we would let that leak out of our mouth because of the commitment necessary and the fear that it might be whatever, you know. But kids are drawn into community. They're easily friends. They're devoted. They're joyful for the most part. I remember when I was studying uh, some of Steve Backlund's stuff, I, I find this difficult to believe because just the sheer number of it, but I think he said that kids, kids laugh over 400 times a day, and adults, sometimes it's, it's like uh, under 20. So there's this huge change. That might be a criteria. You could laugh a little bit more. Expressive. Uh, here's one that came up that I think is kind of true. And this might be a reason why we ignore the admonition to become like children, because children are naive. How many of you, if somebody said you were naive, would take it as a compliment? Why? What's the, what's the antonym to naive? Sophisticated, wise, savvy. Yeah. Uh, I think we might be placing too much value in those things and not enough value in this. Kids are dependent. That's another thing that we shun like the plague as adults, is being dependent on somebody. Uh, kids are not compartmentalized, meaning they're pretty much the same everywhere. Uh, if they're out playing, they don't think about, gee, I wonder what's going to be for dinner, or I wonder what, uh, if there's enough money for dinner, or any of those kind of things. They're naturally self-loving. I thought this was a great one. Kids are surprised when someone doesn't want to be their friend. Naturally self-loving. Do you agree? Okay, so these are characteristics. Uh, and they are egocentric, which Dave is a, a psychologist, so he pointed out the, the technical part of that. They're not able to take another person's point of view. Now, again, I would think that there's some negative qualities to that, but you can't be innocent, naive, uh, compliant, and all that kind of stuff if 
you're constantly trying to figure out. So this idea, we just, I just came back from Portland and spent a little bit of time with Paul Young, and one of Paul Young's primary messages out of his life is that he always took everybody else's point of view and artificially created what he thought they would expect so he could come in. That is the antithesis of being a child. And honestly, you could describe, if you get to know Paul Young, you could describe him as a, a childlike adult. He's, he's wise and he's tough, but he also is open and vulnerable and non-compartmentalized and in the presence of the moment. So anyway, so here's some aberrations, and I, I, I understand this, so I don't want you to think I'm an idiot. Children are so relational that if they're not actually touched and cared for when they're really young, they'll die. So, of course, all of these traits can be twisted through abuse and neglect. All right? But I'm sure that Jesus was talking about a child as a child is and is supposed to be because he was looking at it from the father's perspective. Children's natural vocation. So children are naturally carefree. How many would like to be carefree? I would. Uh, I sabotage my own carefreeness through responsibility a lot of times and through worry and other things. Play consists of this, maybe more, we'll talk about in just a second, imagining, exploring, experiencing, and learning. And play creates access for a child into worlds that are bigger than they are and bigger than they can naturally reach. Remember what Jesus said. Unless you are converted and become like a little child, you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He said, unless you're born again, you won't see heaven to Nicodemus. What if this is the issue? The kingdom, the rule of Jesus is bigger than we are, right? So maybe this characteristic of play and imagination is the very thing that God has given us in this world. And all of us have experienced it. All of us. Even somebody, Joel, like you, that had a very rough, small childhood. There's got to have been some part of that in there, even as rough as it was in the beginning before you were on the streets where you, you were allowed to let your imagination run. You were allowed to explore something, okay? And you're returning to that a little bit. As an adult, I think these seeds are in there in all of our lives. We've all passed through being a child, so we know how to do it. Even though, Ray, as you're getting as old as you and I are, we have a tendency to let that memory slip into the background. I think there's a possibility that God's son or not. I, I think some silliness is appropriate. Yeah, I do. So play creates access to worlds bigger. That, that is, speaks to me of what Jesus is saying about us becoming like little children. And uh, children are wide open to stimulation, imagination, recreation. Isn't it interesting that the thing we call adult play is called recreation? That's the word that's settled in our English language for adult play, is recreation, and for role play. I just see so much in this, this whole as aspect of a child. Children live and react in the present, too. Uh, unless, unless they have uh, been abused and neglected in a terrible way, they are timeless in a real, natural, and in, in a healthy way. They're not timeless in some abstract, weird way. Uh, what's in front of them is what's important. The next thing is the next thing, and they don't seem to hold grudges or do anything like that. 
Uh, regret is uh, an attachment to the past, and worry is an attachment to the future. And I really don't think that children in their, in their best environment have a lot of regrets and have a lot of worries. I just don't think so. I remember an experience in my own life that kind of reveals that. It's a very tragic experience. My mom left when I was six years old. She ran off with my dad's half-brother, and I was my own first cousin for a few years. Doing, doing, doing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, been there, done a few things. Uh, but she literally did. And so I was down, uh, six years old, I was down playing with a friend of mine named Scott down the street. And I came back, and I noticed my dad was really nervous. And, and uh, thinking back on it, I noticed he was nervous, probably didn't then. Um, and so we got talking a little bit, and I said, hey, Dad. I go, where's Mom? And he says, well, she's gone. And I said, oh. I go, when's she coming back? And he said, well, honey, she's not coming back. She doesn't want to be with us anymore. And I go, really? And he said, I started to kind of lower lip the thing and cry a little bit. And, and then I said, Dad? He goes, yeah. And he was like, you know, he was just ready for anything. And I said, can I go play with Scott? <laughs> And, uh, you know, that speaks a lot about, obviously, what our family life was like for the years leading up to that. But nevertheless, uh, I, I really didn't. I really, I mean, I, that situation came and, and went from the present to the past pretty quickly. And uh, I did have to deal with it one time when I was a little bit older. I was probably, how old were we, Vicky? 20, yeah, mid-20s or something. This, uh, we went to one of those goofy multi-level media conferences and... Uh, in Trona, California, of all places. And there was a, a lady there from New York. She just treated me nice. Lord used her to kind of trigger this stuff in me, but to trigger to heal. And so I just started bawling on the way home. I had to pull off and it took me about 30 minutes before Vicky could figure out what I was doing. But the Lord just healed all that sense of abandonment and everything. But the point is, it's really hard if you're functioning like a healthy child to have a lot of regrets in your life or a lot of worry in your life. It just doesn't. Because you can't take other people's baggage on. You can't take other weight on. And you're, you're living outside time. So that's kind of what we came up with. Uh, any other ones? And I uh, need you to grab or step up to a mic if you want to. But any other traits of a child? And, and, and what I'm asking for is exactly what Ray said. How do we do this? Is it just a matter of being silly or is it what? What are we looking to be like? I'm not sure if you had it up there, but uh, curious. Curious. Is that how you spell curious? Yes. Curious is, is like the whole world is, is in front of you. You know what I mean? You, you have the proper perspective. You're looking out the windshield. You're not constantly in the rearview mirror or looking off to the side. Kids are that way for sure. Curious, yeah. I think what it says to me is that, you know, kids don't put a lot of restrictions and parameters on belief you know if you tell them something as an adult they're going to believe it you know unless like you said they've been interfered with through abuse or uh, harsh treatment but.
Okay. It's kind of weird. Okay. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, Dennis. I find that children are basically non-judgmental. They take you just as you are. One of my favorite pictures was two little boys in kindergarten. One was black, one was white, and they both had their heads shaved bald so the teacher could not tell them apart. <laughs> oh, that is... Uh, I'm going to... Okay, non-discriminatory. I'm going to put discriminatory, too. Now, when I'm saying discriminatory, I'm not primarily talking about discriminating between black and white or race or something. I'm talking about they don't make significant distinctions between things. Now, here's another thing that I think this is one reason why the enemy is probably hiding it. Because here's what I'm going to do. Over the next little while, we're going to structure what we encourage people to enter into around this idea if we're successful if I'm obedient. I hate getting stuff from the Lord and then just blowing it off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to encourage people to come into this childlikeness some way or another. And we're going to have to take into account that the idea of discrimination between things is a fruit of the eating of the knowledge, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we are so incredibly comfortable with the fruit of that tree in our lives that we don't even see it as the source of most of our problems in Christian life. And we don't see it as most of the reasons we can't go from point A to point B in the kingdom. Inquisitive, and not from a, not from a I have this uh, methodology in my mind that I want to push and, and try to sort through. But, Dad, tell me, I heard this. Is this, is this real? Is this true? Yeah. And, and just, yeah, very inquisitive. Inquisitive. All right, now, here's another reason that I am so committed to having the ability to ask questions and to cultivating the knowledge that God is okay with you asking him questions. And I'm okay with you asking me questions and challenging what I believe. Now, not everybody is, and it makes for awkward times. I totally get it, okay? And you can ask the wrong kind of question or you can ask the right question in the wrong way. But inquisitiveness is probably the passionate reason that I think these questions are important. And... I've had experience already enough to never turn away from this, to see allowing somebody to be inquisitive before they have to form an opinion makes for a pure kind of process and a, and a more heartfelt belief. Yeah. Um, trusting. Trusting? Okay. Bob said trusting. Joel? This, I don't have one word for this one. Okay. But in my experience working with children is that they will, they will always not they will trust your word or then they will not question your word unless you give them a reason to. Okay. They don't have second opinions on things. Okay, all right. Yeah, they're not carrying second opinions unless you give them one, right? Sterling? They're not self-conscious. No, they're not. They're, it's, it's interesting. Egocentric, yes, meaning that they recognize that the world is the world they're, they're doing, but they're not self-conscious in the same they're not, way. They're not concerned about what other people think. About their them. image? About their own image? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're not uh, image-conscious, maybe. Let's put it that way. And then... Wait. 
S-C-I-O-N-S. Even when little kids cry because their diaper's wet or they're hungry or they're mad or whatever the case, they're not thinking, doggone it, I deserve more than this. You know, I've worked hard at being a child. And so I, when, when I want something, I, I, it's, it's not a... Uh, it's not a uh, it's not a layered cognitive process, you know, in, in that sense. Simple, yeah. They're simple and direct. Yeah. Okay. Hey, okay, cool. Uh, speak up, whoever. Yeah, Jeremy, go ahead, buddy. Uh, Amy, you had one? Well, just as you were talking here, our youngest crawled up next to me and, and put my hand, hand on her face, face and start moving it up and down because she's going to be above her grace. And then it's very direct, direct with her intentions. Like, oh, this is okay, what yeah. I need. Do this for me. Uh, and I think they're experts at play. Experts at what? Play. Playing? Yep. Uh, direct requests. Uh, experts at playing. I do think that play is the natural vocation of a child. Play is the natural vocation. Ray? Always happy. You know, they are... Happiness is their natural state. Laughter. Laughter. I mean, they cry and they get sad too, but... Let's say let's say they are happy naturally, naturally or as a default. All right, now, I think it's possible that we could be idealizing children here a little bit, right? Because we know that from time to time our kids are not like this, and we know that some kids aren't much like this apparently at all, I guess. I don't know. But again, I think that we're on the right track trying to understand what it's like. Dennis? They have an innate expectation of having their needs met. Okay. Jen? Well, I'm going to add to what you were just saying, Larry, because I'm looking at that board. Uh-huh. And because my childhood environment was not good, uh-huh. I'm not relating to, to these, these things, things, even though I know that's what healthy children In, in have. an ideal world, it would be, yeah. But what, what you tend to call children who are not um, having that secure environment, a lot of times you call them a little adult. Huh. Because they're doing the opposite of that. That's right. You're trying to control your environment. You are worrying. You are self-conscious. You're all those opposite An- things thing of what a child should be. Is an old soul. <laughs> yeah. And we say that with respect. We say it with respect, but I think you're absolutely right. It's a manifestation that they, too, need to be given the opportunity to be converted and at the hand of someone else become like a child again or recapture that. And how much counseling is to go back and resurrect that childhood, that lost childhood? Just mm-hmm. Imaginative. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I was thinking, which would strengthen a point that you brought up before, is, is it seems like children are very present in the moment. Mm-hmm. In the moment. I'm hungry. I'm here. Yeah. Even yeah. if they're expect, let's say they're waiting for something, they're 
speaking do right now. Yeah. They may be yeah. excited about where we're going to go, something of that nature. All right, so I think this is one way we can take the, the, the childlike characteristic of being naive and begin to understand its positiveness. If you're not naive, it's probably because you're living on the basis of accumulated learning experiences that don't pay to be naive. Like you wouldn't characterize these kind of children as naive, unfortunately, because that naivete has been stolen from them. But uh, the mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Why? And why is that important to write down in Scripture? Because we, we ought to be living on the basis of the mercies of today and not extrapolating from yesterday or worrying about what might not be there tomorrow. Uh, one of the things that Paul Young says a lot to characterize his life, which I'm trying to get a version of my, my own, is that he doesn't future trip, and he tries to help people not future trip. Because future tripping is, 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 is living in the expectations of tomorrow based upon any number of things. He says, I'm just trying to learn to live in the grace of one day at a time and to believe there's going to be grace for tomorrow. And that kids are, we're, kids are a little bit like that. They don't, they don't have that accumulated sort of thing. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now, it can be annoying, but we could do with some prayer like that. Freedom. Um, for freedom, kind of a, an umbrella over all of this. Um, from the standpoint, I know my little boy, you know, he wakes up in the morning, his exciting starting parts of his day are what he's going to play with and the projects he has going on. No cares, no fears, expectation, everything's going to be taken care of, and just lives in that freedom. Yeah. And it's fun, the creativity, the imaginative, the, the playing, yeah. as Jeremy said, like, just that freedom really, really... So that's, I, I love it that you've that. linked freedom to that idea of being carefree. Carefree was my version of that on the previous screen, children carefree. But uh, our freedom, you know, I mean, we've got bumper stickers. And I, I'm not trying to denigrate the fact that men and women have given their lives so that we can be a free nation as opposed to a communist nation or something. But freedom isn't free. You know, I mean, it's, it's a slogan. It's a bump. I do believe that freedom is supposed to be free in that way. We're supposed to be able to get up and look around and go, well, here's today. Let's see what's going on. Now, I understand there are a million arguments against us. This is as far as we're going to be able to get today. I understand there are a million arguments against us. Because, well, what about planning? And what about dis discipline? And what about, and what about, and what about? All I want to do is I want to, I want to, I want to suggest to us when Jesus said, unless you do this, you won't enter the kingdom. And unless you receive the kingdom this way, you won't enter it. And unless you get in a position to be made one of these, you won't even see it. It's time for people who go to a church called Joyland to take that a little more seriously <laughs> and figure it out. Jen. Um. When you don't have that secure environment, those those things don't take place. Yeah. So if you use that as a picture of our view of God the Father, yeah. if he's punitive, yeah. if he's short-tempered, uh, uh, yeah. all those things, 
It doesn't create that. It does not create it, it that. It does that distance. And so this is one of the things. So Ray said, so how do we do this, okay? Is it just acting silly? I don't think that'll get us all the way there, but it's probably a component. But what if we go ahead, and again, this is why I think the enemy is at the root of the ignorance of this particular direct call from Christ. We got someone? Yeah, Ronnie? Children are loud. They're loud? And they interrupt. <laughs> All right, Ronnie's lobbying. <laughs> I wonder where they learned that from. We love you, buddy. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, so here, here's uh, let, let me let me wrap up, Rick, because we're going to be having to head to the thing. Well, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, uh, when Charlotte's grandkids come on, I make them a root beer float. Yeah. Do they they in heavy? Okay. All right. So there's ways. Root beer floats could be a thing. Maybe we need to bring it in. I like root beer floats, as a matter of fact. That's why I like Jason's Deli. You can get a float at the end of every meal. Uh, The answer is probably not going to take an adult diagnostic and discipline approach to becoming like a little child, because that would be violating what that word become means. But I think one of the first things is realizing and repenting, because that's what turn means. Unless you are converted, repentance means turning, okay? So I guess the, the thing I would hope for out of an introduction like this about this thing, and I'm really, I think this is real serious, I do. I, uh, that sounds funny, kind of oxymoronic. Um, I think the devil has tried to keep us blinded to the transformational capacity there is in being a child. And I think the transformation that we seek, I think the experience of the kingdom, the the rule of the king, is still waiting us. And I think the components like imagination and a correct understanding of freedom and carefreeness, I think recognizing that we've been, we've had these things suppressed by sin. Sin that was done against us, sins of neglect, all these sorts of things. But I think that we can, I think we can do that. And it seems to me that one of the things we ought to purpose to do as a church and as a ministry is to create an environment that promotes the freedom of the experience of childlikeness. You have to. You have to. And we have to, we have to keep that front and center all the time. And think what Jesus did. He came into a world of darkness where men were isolated and hiding and abusing one another and abusing authority. And he got to that place, like I said about in the gospel. But all along the way to getting to that place, the disciples said, well, teach us how to pray. Because we want to pray so powerfully that the Romans are overthrown so that glory comes back so that I can be rich and get a good-looking Jewish wife. And he said, why don't you pray this way? Our Father. He stands there talking to the Pharisees, and they say, but what authority are you to do? He says, listen, my Father bears witness of me. And you don't know him. You've never heard his voice or seen his form. All along the way, you're right, Jen. He was trying to reconnect people. He was trying to put the Father on display, even to the point, and this is the point of the Incarnation, in the ministry of Jesus, where he said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if we can embody that, I believe the way we'll do it is, is with this be like, just as a child. And so I just want to pray that the Lord will help us. And 
that if Joyland succeeds at anything, that it succeed at creating an environment where the father can be the father and therefore the, the children can be children. I'll tell you another thing too, from a Pentecostal, charismatic, go get them, military, zealous, uh, Jeremy, uh, special forces kind of theology, it's the wrong way to go about it if you omit child likeness. We're going to have access to the kingdom more readily as children than we are as Green Berets in the Spirit. Okay? So, Father, thank you for making yourself known in Jesus, through him. Uh, thank you for making yourself known by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop praying and preach for one more second. The focal point of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is characterized by Paul in Romans as what? Crying out from our hearts, Abba, Daddy. All right, I'm going to pray again. So Holy Spirit, thank you for embracing in your outpouring upon all flesh the role of not only bringing to mind and bringing into our hearts all that Jesus is and said, but to cause us to be able to respond in a way that in our brokenness and our hiding and in our little adultness, we could not do. And that is to simply throw our arms open, lift our face up and say, Daddy. God, we need this. We repent for ignoring these important, this important revelation. We repent for being a part of it in our own seriousness, in our own um, offering of other ways to become functional in the kingdom. And I'm just sorry, Lord, that for any role I've taken throughout my life in leading people away from childlikeness into some other weird, twisted adult responsibility thing. But as the children, hey, I was in trouble yesterday, but today everything's okay. So <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We give ourselves, we turn right now to let you make us childlike. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Thanks. That was awesome.